Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Acts, the third chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Hear now God's Word. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. In this series of sermons which began a few weeks before Easter, beginning in Luke's last chapter of his gospel, Luke 24, uh, he dealt with the last days of Jesus on earth physically. His public ministry lasted about three years and ended with his public crucifixion and resurrection. As we come to the book of Acts, we see him in the opening chapter of Acts ascending to the throne in heaven, and then he pours out his Holy Spirit on his disciples, forming a new community, 50 days after the crucifixion. So a lot's happened here in a very short period of time. This community, our body, will continue his ministry as they will fan out from Jerusalem to the whole world, to the uttermost parts of the earth, as both witnesses and as representatives of Christ. And as a result, the wonderful works of Jesus, which Jesus did for three years while he was on the earth, but now has ascended and has given gifts to men, now we, his people, continue to represent Christ in the, in the earth to this day, and his wonderful works continue. With the initial leadership in place in Jerusalem, and then 3,000 new church members, I can't imagine, um, this new community of believers has clearly and dramatically been launched. This was not some small trickle. This was a big deal. They had been given, they had, all these had been given the forgiveness of sins. They had been given the Holy Spirit. They were self-consciously learning from the apostles. Uh, they were fellowshipping. They were breaking bread or communing and they were praying. 
They were even sharing their property. Seems like maybe even money had ceased to be quite as important as other things. Their love for one another was evident to those who were outside the community and provided ongoing opportunities for them to continue to witness uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So So these were Jewish converts who now saw Jesus as the long-expected Messiah, who had been spoken of over and over in the Old Testament. They continued, of course, their habit of going to the temple to worship, and they would go three times a day for prayer. So remember, it won't be until Acts, the 11th chapter, that we read, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So they've not been labeled yet. They've not even been identified as anything separate. So now these Jews who, who recognize that the Messiah has come continue to go in their routine uh, for worship and prayer. So John pulls the curtain back. Uh, and uh, so, so, for example, in, in Luke, uh, the book of Acts chronicles what was unfolding on the stage of history before the eyes of the observers. But John, in the book of Revelation, allows us to see the forces that were were simultaneously at work. So if we were to read the book of Acts, read the book of Revelation, we're getting different perspectives on what is going on. In Acts, we see human opposition develop against the church. We're going to see that very quickly here, right after this event. In Revelation, we see the hostility of the devil himself at work through those human agents. Revelation reveals the age-long battle between the lamb and the dragon between Christ and Satan. Jerusalem, the holy city, is set over against the idolatrous Babylon, uh, the church versus the world. In Revelation, we're told that the devil has three basic weapons, uh, and in the early chapters of Acts, we see them at work. The persecution of God's people, moral compromise as a temptation, and then false teaching. Those were the threats to the early church. Note also that the structure of chapters 3 and 4 are the same as we already saw in chapter 2. First, the spectators observed a miraculous event. You remember in chapter 2, of course, we had uh, the speaking in foreign languages. They heard the gospel being spoken in their own native tongues. Uh, And then in chapter 3 here, we have the healing of this man who was crippled from birth. In both cases, the crowd uh, is amazed and they want some kind of an explanation as to what's happened here. This demands some kind of an explanation. Second, this is followed by a speech or a sermon from Peter which interprets the events as a demonstration of the work of God through Jesus Christ and and he calls upon the crowd to repent and to believe. Third, Luke describes the consequences of the miraculous event and Peter's uh, explanation of it. Namely, there, as a result, was a spirit-filled church and a church uh, which, in the first case, learns under the apostles, worships, uh, shares, and witnesses. And in the second case, we're going to see as chapter 3 unfolds and persecution breaks out, it is a persecuted church but they still meet, they still pray, and they still share. So in these first verses of chapter 3, 
It's the healing of a crippled man that will incite the opposition of the Jewish authorities, uh, in addition to Peter's sermon, Peter's interpretation of those events, his explanation of what has happened. And so we must not forget that Luke has already told us that he is recording what Jesus himself did after his ascension. He con- Luke says he continued, Jesus did, to do and to teach through his apostles. So when we see these things happening, we see the man being healed, we see Peter preaching, we should also see Christ. You know, we are the body of Christ. We represent Christ in the world. That's not just a nice, pretty little metaphor. This is actually God's plan for reaching the world, to take Jesus and through you and through me and through his people to continue to do what he started to do when he came to the earth. And he's still doing. Much of contemporary of the contemporary church thinks we have to wait for Jesus to come back. And Jesus will come back, but we're not waiting. He is active. He is at work now. Jesus is engaging the culture now through us, through his church. Luke has also told us in chapter 2, verse 43, that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, through these miracles. God is calling attention to the fact that he is doing something powerful and new. And this brings us to the example that's now given in these opening verses of chapter 3. Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, we don't know the date. We don't know exactly how many days this might have been after Pentecost. But we are told that it happened at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the time of prayer. It wasn't unusual to find many beggars in Jerusalem. It's a major city. Uh, The temple is the, the gathering place. And as Jesus said, the poor are always with us. And this brought a a remembrance to me when I was a kid in Shreveport. My grandfather would, on Saturdays, often take me with him downtown to go to the big post office where he had a post office box. And uh, I remember being taken, taken back a bit at the sight of several crippled beggars on the sidewalk where I lived in the, in the, uh, Suburban areas, we didn't see that, but downtown, there on the sidewalk, it was not unusual. And my grandfather would always give them some money. And the image of one man in particular is fixed in my mind. He was always there in the same spot. Every time I went, I anticipated, I expected to see him in that exact place. That that had become where he was. And so in Luke's account... This man was brought to his particular place, kind of like you sit in the same pew or seat every Sunday. you got your spot, and you're a little bothered if somebody gets your spot. Well, uh, this is kind of how we've got this going. And so this man, we're told, was dropped off every day at the temple, probably by family and friends, outside what is called in the text the beautiful gate, uh, where he had some very, he, he had become a very, familiar sight to all the people who were coming to the temple on a regular basis. Not just for a little while, for years. God was at work. So there he sat, day after day after day. 
So this demonstration of the power of Jesus' name took place not in the temple, but outside the temple. Luke's gospel began and ended in the temple, and what he's telling us now is that the good news of Jesus, though beginning in Jerusalem, is now starting to reach outside to anyone and everyone who needs it. So this poor man was utterly dependent on others to give him money to sustain his life. Charity was essential to his existence and survival. And as Peter and John were about to enter the temple... And the beggars uh, themselves, excuse me, uh, they walk by this man and, and he asks them for a donation. People often avoid eye contact with such people and even the beggars themselves sometimes will look down or look away. In fact, we tend to avoid such people altogether because it's uncomfortable. But Peter notices this poor man and he says to him, look at us. Look. So he turns to look. And by the way, Jesus fixes his eyes upon us as well. This is also what Jesus says to everyone who is poor and broken. Look at me. Perhaps Peter recalled his looking at Jesus when Jesus had called him out of the boat to walk on the water. So this beggar looked and perhaps extending his hand to receive a coin or two. But Peter responded, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter had something better to give than money. After his command to look at us, Peter gave a second command And it's pretty astonishing. Rise up and walk. What? Rise up and walk. Jeremiah had asked, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Telling a man who has been crippled from birth to rise up and walk was not only impossible, it might even seem to be insulting and cruel. On the other hand, it was the very obvious impossibility of the situation that made the miraculous character of the event so astounding. Literally, Peter says, be walking. It's the the present imperative, which means to, to express enduring action. I want you to get up and walk and keep on walking. You're going to be walking from now on. He leaned forward and took him by the right hand and lifted him up. The mighty work of Jesus is wondrous indeed. So Dr. Luke continues describing what happened next. Immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. When Jesus touches you, the results are instant and dramatic. We would say that he sprang to his feet. Do you remember what happened when Jesus spoke to the dead man, Lazarus, and said, come forth? When God said, let there be light, there was light. When God moves, then we move. We love because he first loved. 
And this man didn't gradually ease himself up on 40-year-old atrophied legs. He wasn't wobbly. He didn't need a walker or a cane. There was no gradual healing here. People who have never walked, even if healed by surgery, would have to learn to walk, much less jump. This guy goes from lame to leaping immediately. Luke emphasized the shocking and the dramatic nature of what Jesus has just done through Peter in verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them while walking and leaping and praising God. You got that picture? Just pause and think about that. He immediately accompanied John and Peter, bouncing around, jumping for joy, entering the temple for the first time with them. Imagine that you've seen this guy hundreds of times. Begging at the beautiful gate. And now this has unfolded before your eyes. I'm always amazed when I watch talented buskers singing on busy streets. You may have watched some of those YouTubes or whatever. A singer goes out with their guitar or their little group and they play. And oftentimes quite remarkably well. And then in the background you just see people walking by, ignoring them, carrying on a conversation. I'm like, why aren't you listening? They're really good. So it takes a lot to get people to stop and pay attention. And so this was a very different situation. Everybody noticed this. When we ask, how did Christianity spread so fast? We go from the crucifixion to 3,000 people converted in a day, and now the rapid spread of the Christian faith throughout the Mediterranean, and then further and all the way to where we are right now. How did that happen? Well, it happens like this. When God moves, when God acts, it gets everybody's attention. Now, it doesn't always, as I said last week, doesn't always get reported in the news. In fact, it usually doesn't. Stop. Turn the news off. At least most of the time. They're not telling you everything that's going on. God is doing amazing things right now. So here we have, um, when we ask how Christianity spread so fast, well, we have the mighty works of Jesus when he's present on the earth. That's why at the triumphal entry you have crowds of people gathered with palm branches saying, Hosanna to the Lord. That's why the... They were afraid to put Jesus to death. They were worried about what the crowds were going to do, that they were going to rise up. They're still worried about that here in Jerusalem as they're going to have to deal with this problem that's occurring with the healing of this crippled man because they're worried about what might happen politically. It's that big of a deal. And now we have the works of Jesus after the resurrection and ascension. The Romans and the Jews thought they got rid of the problem when they killed Jesus. But it was just getting started for them. You remember the disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus had said to Jesus, who they had not yet recognized, when he asked them, uh, paraphrasing, what's going on? And they said, 
are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? I suspect that Jerusalem was extra busy and crowded since this was still Pentecost and this caused quite a stir. The crowd responded after they heard people speaking, remember, in their native tongues. And the crowd responded then after Peter's first sermon and said, what shall we do? And now the crowd responds again to this powerful demonstration of the power of Jesus. Acts 3, 9 and 10, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This will now open up another great opportunity for Peter to explain the gospel. In Acts 3, 11 and 12, now as the lame man who was healed on the, uh, what was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. You just got this picture of this crowd. Everybody's running to see what's the commotion? What's, what's all that leaping? What's all that shouting? What's going on over there? Let's, let's all pull in and see. So the crowd gathers and Peter sees again a great opportunity to, and, and so what he's going to do is give credit to Jesus. Let's make it clear that the power at play here is not Peter's own, but the power of the name of Jesus Christ. So as I was thinking about this passage, I thought, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to place this story of the healing of the lame man, lame from birth, here in this early part of the book of Acts? The Gospel of Luke ends with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It opens, Acts opens with the ascension of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit, the conversion of 3,000. So why now this story of the healing of the lame man outside the temple? Well, a well-known man who might have been sitting there every day for maybe 20 years or more. It's possible that Jesus had even passed by and seen this man before. His daily presence as a beggar provides a powerful witness to the power of Jesus. Why now? Well, this was the kind of healing that Jesus had done during his ministry on earth, right? We can think of any number of examples where Jesus healed people. So why this? Jesus is continuing his ministry on the earth through his representatives, the apostles. In a way, nothing's changed. His mighty and wondrous works Proceed unabated. These miracles attest to his person and work of salvation, and it certainly got everyone's attention. Not only did a crowd assemble, not only did Peter publicly explain what had happened and why, but this well-known, formerly lame man kept on jumping for joy, walking and leaping and praising God. We saw a similar story, right? Do you remember? Um, 
You see, that's what's creating the political problem. If this just happened out on the side somewhere in an unknown place, we could ignore it. But it can't be ignored. You remember what happened in John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? He said, Lord, you're too late. His body already stinks. He's decomposing. You got here too late. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth. Jesus says, loose him and let him go. That's chapter 11. We get all the way to chapter 12 in John's gospel. And here's what we read in verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11. Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But then listen, verse 10. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. We have to put this under wraps. We have to hide this. We have to cover this up. If we have to kill Lazarus again, if we got to get him back in the grave, we need to shut this down with the same things happening here in the third chapter of Acts. The healing and the sermon together set up the first instance of persecution of the church in Acts when Peter and John are imprisoned and tried for their actions in chapter 4. The church starts to challenge the worldly powers, Rome and the Sanhedrin, and then persecution breaks out. And just an aside here, and it's actually through that persecution that the church is going to get distributed throughout the world. The the dispersal of God's people. They were gathered primarily in Antioch and Jerusalem, and now through the persecution... In God's providence, this thing that looks like it's it's against the church turns out to be like God just scattering the seeds all over the world. So the the Apostle Paul was going to face the same kind of thing. He went from being a persecutor of the church to being persecuted himself because he switched sides, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, Paul writes, Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We'll see that God will take the persecution of his people again and turn it on its head. Soon the Christians will be accused of having Turn the world upside down when, in fact, God is turning the world right side up. By the time we get to chapter 5 of Acts, the high priest will complain that the apostles have filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should take heart. Acts isn't simply the story of what Jesus did a long time ago. It's the story of what he is still doing, and he's doing it through his people all over the world right now. We're just one little outpost right here in Nacogdoches. And he has outposts everywhere. It started right here, partly because of him healing the lame man 
outside the temple. It got it going. And here we are. I assure you, if the Sanhedrin could have ignored what happened at the temple that day, they would have. And the world has been trying for a long time to ignore the resurrection and the church. But again, here we are, more than 2,000 years later. Many kingdoms have come and gone. But the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world. Thank you for your perfect plan to rescue us from our sins and to pour out your Spirit upon your church. We are grateful for the mighty works of Jesus while he was physically present on the earth, and we are even more grateful for his mighty works which he has performed through his people throughout history and throughout the world. Moreover, he continues his mighty works today, every day, and in every place. And for this, we give thanks. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your mighty works of providence and the holy inspired record of your redemptive work throughout history. No man has ever thwarted your purpose, nor will any man ever frustrate your plan. Nothing is impossible for you. Your word shall stand forever. Indeed, you have remembered your covenant, and we bow with grateful hearts. Send us forth, O Lord, with your blessing and with your strength. Help us to remember your covenant as well, that we might dwell forever in the house of the Lord. Bless this Lord's day for your glory and our good, the feast, the rest, the joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.